Thanks for listening to the First Take podcast. My name is Simon King and I'm an executive editor at First Word Pharma Plus. On this week's show, I preview the forthcoming ASCO conference with my colleagues, Becky Simon and Michael Flanagan. So this year's ASCO meeting takes place in a couple of weeks' time uh, between June the 4th and the 8th. Um, The abstracts uh, were released on Wednesday and there will be some more late-breaking abstracts which will be published on the eve of the conference. Uh, As is always the case with one of these um, major oncology uh, medical meetings, uh, I guess it's easy to sort of uh, say that, you know, the ones that jump out broadly fall into kind of two categories. Uh, We've got those um, abstracts which are looking at late stage studies, which could pave the way for near term approvals and then uh, potential changes to treatment practice. And we'll look at a couple of those that stand out. And then there's obviously the earlier stage stuff. Um, exciting new approach, approaches to treatment, etc. Um, in terms of the late stage stuff, um, really the, 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 the two studies that jump out are both um, immunotherapy uh, focused. Um, it's the Empower Zero uh, Ten study, which is um, evaluating Roche's PD1, PD-L1 inhibitor to centric as a treatment for adjuvant um, lung cancer. That's uh, stage two to three A uh, lung cancer. And the um, abstract um, reveals that to centric did cut the risk of disease recurrence by 34% um, in PDL1 positive patients versus. Um, uh, best uh, best standard of care, best supportive care, I should say. Uh, Michael, what what did you kind of make of these data? I mean, I guess it it suggests that there is there is obviously an opportunity for these uh, types of therapies to be used slightly earlier in the lung cancer setting, which is you know something we've all been watching and waiting for for some time. Right, and the key there is going to be you know the safety because. Uh, these are patients who could potentially be cured. You know, we're not talking metastatic patients who are, you know, far along and they've received, you know, several different therapies at this point. We're talking um, patients who are, who are really early on in their course. So to to add something like this on, a PD-1 or PDL one inhibitor, you know, oncologists are going to have to feel pretty comfortable with not just that it's, you know, adding something on the efficacy side, but clearly it's not adding a whole bunch of uh, serious side effects on the safety side. So that's something that the people will be watching pretty closely when we see like, you know, the more and more data come out here. I know that that's something that the KOLs have told me that they're, they're watching. Um, So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, but I guess we'll see. Sure. And in terms of, I mean, obviously, we just mentioned there, it seems to be that it's being driven by um, PDL1 positive patients. So that obviously has some uh, implications in terms of potential market size. Um, and obviously, there are these kind of debates around, um, 
you know, disease-free survival versus, you know, harder endpoints like overall survival. So this will all be stuff that is talked about over the next uh, few weeks as the data are presented. And the other results that sort of stood out from a kind of a, a, a large study, you know, immunotherapy uh, focus were data from the Relativity 047 study, um, which is a trial that's sponsored by Bristol-Myers-Squibb. It's looking at the combination of, of Devo and Relatlimab, uh, which is a first-in-class LAG3 inhibitor for the treatment of advanced melanoma. Um, the study uh, is really important, I guess, because it does validate um, LAG3 as a checkpoint inhibitor target. Um, have you got any comments or any thoughts on that data? I, so basically, you know, the people really wanted to see whether LAG3 works. <laughs> you know, number one, we've had all these other IO targets that have been popular and hot and everything like that. Um, and this one, it it seems like may actually be one of the first ones to um, work in a in a large scale large scale study, and I think it's the first one to demonstrate a, a survival benefit. Um, am I right on that? Um, well, it's 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 progression free survival at the moment. So yeah, so the combination of of Devo and Relatlimab. Um, demonstrated a median progression-free survival of 10.1 months uh, versus 4.6 months for Obdivo alone. And obviously some um, advanced melanoma patients are treated with Obdivo. But um, I guess the other thing to consider is that, I mean, I've, I've seen that about 30% of patients, I believe, are treated with um, Bristol-Myers-Squibb's um, existing immunotherapy combination, which is Obdivo with Yervoy. Um, but I believe, I think what you're kind of alluding to is I believe that the that combination has never shown a an overall survival benefit versus Obdivo monotherapy. And I think that that is perhaps what some oncologists will be looking for as these data mature is whether um, this PD-1 LAG-3 combination can demonstrate um, a survival benefit versus an, an active comparator in the form of, of, of Obdivo monotherapy. Um, I and guess... then the other side of that is they want to get rid of the CTLA-4 because of all the side effects, right? So basically they're hoping that LAG-3 will end up getting rid of your boy and being just as effective, if not more, but with less toxicity. I think. I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think there's obviously loads of subtleties here, because if you speak to experts, they'll sort of say, um, you know, Yervoy is kind of is, is, is often sort of talked about as having this kind of notoriously tricky safety profile. But then I think, you know, you wow. speak to oncologists, you speak to KOLs, and they'll sort of say, well, it, it is tricky, but we know how to, um, you know, we know how to manage the side effects. But on the other hand, I think what you're saying is completely right. And I guess, I mean, I, I listened to the uh, to the lead investigator presenting these data uh, last week in a in a press conference. And, and my take home, you know, these guys are often slightly noncommittal in where these uh, therapies could potentially sit in the sort of treatment paradigm. And my take from him was this is an option going forward for melanoma patients. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the top line data, you kind of do a kind of a quick take on it. I think it, it would be a fair assumption to say 
this combination is maybe appears to be slightly less efficacious than Obdivo and Yervoy, but it is associated with fewer severe side effects. So I think that kind of payoff between efficacy and um, toxicity is is obviously something that's that's going to play out. And and again, you know, we'll see or, and we'll hear more conversations about that over the next few weeks, um, I guess. The, the other one I just wanted to flag um, for listeners, which I think is really interesting, is um, there's an EGFR inhibitor, um, which is being developed by uh, the Chinese company Hanso, and it's been in-licensed um, outside of China by, uh, by a new drug company called EQRX. It's an EGFR inhibitor called um, Um and there's been data presented in abstract form showing that it was um, significantly uh, more efficacious in terms of PFS than IRESA, um, AstraZeneca's older TKI in EGFR, in first line EGFR mutation, non-small cell lung cancer. Um, and we, we published a story on the website today, actually. I think it's going to be really, really interesting in terms of how that data plays out uh, in the Chinese market in particular, where obviously um, there's a few factors at play. Uh, AstraZeneca um, uh, has a newer EGFR inhibitor called Tegriso, um, which is now established as the standard of care in first-line patients. But the, the backstory being that's the leading um, product uh, in the Western markets, but it's also um, generating um, increasing sales in China based on um, frontline use. And um, it could well be that these data for this this other agent, if, if Hanso um, can, can get it approved in the first line setting, will position that as a, as a competitor of note in the Chinese market. So that's definitely uh, one to watch. Um, in terms of the, the kind of the earlier stage um, studies, abstracts that were released. Um, Becky, was was there anything that kind of really sort of piqued your interest? Uh, yeah, so I was looking over um, at Allogene. Um, so they're interesting because they have the uh, most advanced therapy of any of the um, allogeneic uh, CAR-T options. <clears throat> There's is targeting um, CD19, so it also makes for, you know, a very convenient comparison to all of the um, existing uh, autologous options. Um, so they've got more follow-up and more patients now relative to their last update probably a year ago. Um, and they're showing numbers that are, you know, pretty comparable to um, autologous therapies, you know, so a 75%, you know, response rate in, um, uh, patients naive to a uh, CAR-T therapy off the top, um, which, you know, isn't too bad, all things considered. Um, but the more interesting note, you know, it's sort of the, um, the uh, issue everyone is trying to, uh, to, to get a handle on for uh, allogeneic therapies in general is on their persistence. Um, and so what Allergene is showing right now is that at six months, they have a uh, complete response rate of 29% uh, across their um, whole NHL population, um, which is, you know, which they're positioning as quite comparable to the autologous competitors. Um, 
with some notable uh, distinctions, you know, it's actually a fairly wide range of um, CR rates at six months in their different populations for follicular lymphoma versus uh, large B-cell lymphoma. Um, but, you know, overall, they're saying it's competitive with the autologous um, competitors. It's also noteworthy that that um, six-month uh, durability that they're looking at, that time point in the autologous therapies tends to be predictive of how durable responses are. You know, if you have maintained a response for six months um, after Yescarta, for example, you know, you're pretty likely to have a, um, a pretty well-sustained response. So we'll see if that also, you know, carries along for, um, for these allogeneic therapies. Um, but, you know, if if that does hold, then um, their their persistence, excuse me, their durability, um, looks pretty comparable to what the um, uh, autologous therapy therapies are doing, um, and of course that's paired with you know things like the the shorter delivery time, vein to vein time, I should say, and the uh, theoretical <laughs> lower cost uh, for the allogeneic therapies versus the um, autologous. Okay. That's, I mean, that's obviously been something we've been we've been watching um, watching for a long time. This idea of more convenient CAR T therapy. So that's that's great news for Allergen in the field. Um, we'll be looking forward to that, seeing more of that data in the next few weeks. Um, I mentioned briefly at the beginning about um, the late-breaking abstracts that will be released just before ASCO starts. Um, other things that will be worth keeping an eye on uh, that that you know, within those late breakers are data from the phase three Olympia study, uh, which is um, uh, assessing uh, AstraZeneca and Merck's PARP inhibitor Limpasa as a neoadjuvant, uh, sorry, after neoadjuvant chemotherapy in uh, BRCA-positive breast cancer. Um, Novartis uh, will be presenting data from the Vision study for their uh, radioligand treatment in prostate cancer. And one of the um, late breakers that is, I think is going to be really interesting is um, uh, data from the Keynote 564 study, which is looking at um, Merck's Keytruda um, as a treatment uh, post-surgery in renal cell carcinoma. And obviously the renal cell carcinoma market um, in the metastatic setting has been um, highly uh, competitive in the last couple of years with immunotherapies. And Having read a bit of key opinion leader feedback, there's kind of the suggestion that if these, uh, if if the PD uh, PD ones and PDL ones move into earlier stage settings, there could be quite a significant impact on how they're subsequently used. Um, just to finish on and sort of um, away from ASCO, but obviously kind of um, with potentially with, with with future implications for for future ASCO meetings and immunotherapy in general. We've obviously spoken about um, lag three uh, potentially becoming, uh, you know, the sort of the third checkpoint inhibitor target. Um, obviously, the other checkpoint inhibitor target that, that we're kind of talking about a lot at the moment is um, is TIGIT. Uh, Bristol Myers um, agreed to pay uh, $200 million up front this week to acquire an exclusive license for a, an anti-TIGIT bispecific antibody, which is being developed by a genus. Um, Becky, I know you uh, you wrote about this. Um, I mean, I was un I'm under the impression BMS are already kind of active in that space. 
is there anything that you know we can kind of read in particular into this deal in terms of you know what what the implications might be for for, for BMS in this area? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, BMS paid you know two hundred million for a uh, you know plus a bunch of you know back end math for a preclinical asset um, from a genus. This is a bispecific antibody um, targeting Tigit and you know a um, unknown, uh, disclosed uh, second arm on this antibody. Um, but it's quite interesting um, in the sense that, you know, BMS already has a, a TIGIT antibody um, in the clinic. But, so the fact that, you know, they're willing to, you know, pay a um, uh, reasonably high premium um, for uh, a compound that's never, for an antibody that's never been in the clinic, you know, all suggests that they don't have a whole lot of confidence in um, the asset that they're, that they're currently moving forward with. Um, I also sort of appreciate the, um, you know, the when you think of the, this uh, doubling down in TIGIT that BMS appears to be doing, um, you know, plus of course, you know, the, the work we've seen from them with uh, LAG3, it's um, just it really points to the, the company's, uh, you know, perseverance, I guess, in um, diversifying beyond their, their Yervoi Optivo. Um, assets in, in the IO space. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, they've, they've not necessarily been the most commercially successful um, company. That's not to say they haven't been successful, but obviously they've, you know, as, as, as we've written about for the last few years, they've often been overshadowed by Merck. But I guess what, especially what the lag three data sort of says is that, you know, this is, probably the premier company in terms of bringing these kind of new targets to market you know they've done it with ctla4 they look like they're they're pretty much on track to do it with lag3 um and i guess where tidget is concerned you know we're actually um you know that that could be one where they're a you know a follow-on player because um i, I think it's roche and uh, merck and co who've both got um anti-tidgets in late stage development and I, I believe Gilead as well I'm not entirely sure about that but again yeah. um be something to watch yeah yeah they, they've got data from, from their Arcus partnership um coming up later this year yeah thanks for listening for full coverage of the forthcoming ASCO meeting and for daily pharmaceutical news and analysis please visit firstwordpharma.com